21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. The Green Coffee Company is the largest consolidated coffee producer in the country of Colombia. For any of the listenership that doesn't, doesn't know Colombia, coffee is the national product of the country. And so from the time I founded the company in 2017 until today, about five years, we've become from what I would say is, you know, a cute little startup to becoming the largest consolidated producer of coffee, which is the national product of the country. As of today, we have 11.5 million trees. We have almost 2,000 hectares of active coffee land under production. Last year we did, was our largest year uh, in terms of our own production. We did over 2 million pounds of coffee produced at our own farms. As far as buying from third-party producers, we bought over 5 million pounds of coffee cherries from other producers within the same region. We have the most sophisticated infrastructure that exists actually in the whole world, in the coffee producing world for Arabica coffee in Salgar, Colombia, which is where our operating nexus is currently located. year before last, we did a little over a million dollars in revenue. Uh, and last year we did over 10 million. So we grew about 10x in, in one year. Mm-hmm. 10x is very popular today. <laughs> very popular. <laughs> like 10x Absolutely. this, 10x that. But you are from, from, from abstraction, you, you went to uh, concrete results. That's correct. That's correct. So when we started, we started with about you know, 30, 40 employees when it was the first project. So we conceptualized it from being, being a traditional agricultural project, which is usually, you know, it's a typical three things in every scale-based project. One, consolidate infrastructure at scale and acquire at scale, mm-hmm. right? You create a consolidated farming group, and then you take that product and sell as for, further down the value chain as, as you can possibly go. That That's the traditional model. And, and that's where we kind of started in 2017, 2018. As we began to develop the company, really I would say around the 2020 period when we were really getting to know Colombian coffee, we were able to identify that if we invest more capital, invest more time, we can create a niche here and be a part of a business that no one else is doing. There was no human capital in the business. There isn't outside foreign capital going in macroeconomically into the Colombian economy. And so we've grown what was, let's say, a, a 30, 40 person business when it was, you know, the cute little startup phase. Until today, we have about 400 full time employees. And so, you know, for, during that time of massive growth, we've built a platform where we can basically plug and play new farms. And so kind of when we were just opening up, Martin, when we we're saying, oh, you know, you have seven and a half million trees and I went to 11 and a half million, you know, that's like a 40, 50 percent growth. And we did that in the last three months. 
So the reason why we can do that is because we spent the last five years building a platform, right? Building a platform that is scalable and you can plug in new assets on top of our existing platform and we don't have to hire whole new management teams around it, right? We've built systems and management teams that are capable of plugging in assets and building into the whole portfolio ecosystem of what I would say is the operating business, which is Green Coffee Company. At what point you started with vertical integration between production and logistics, sure. uh, supply chain, et cetera? Sure. So right now we're still in the process of vertical integration, but it's oh. been a goal for the last, basically the last two years. We knew that we needed to go all the way to the roasting product transformation stage, which is just a fancy way for saying cooking coffee right we're we're still in that phase of this this round of capital that we're deploying is really around that vertical integration right mm -hmm. so we knew that we needed to take not only just farm coffee mill it and sell it in the in the town center we knew we need to take it further down the value chain every step along the value chain in coffee there's significantly more profit and more opportunity along the way but for a typical small farmer there's no way for them to elongate their value along that chain. It's just not possible, right? So we knew the vertical integration play is a key to success for the whole, both the coffee industry and our company as a whole. So this is really, this Series C Ray funding round that we're engaged in today, this is where we're going to vertically integrate the whole chain, right? We're going to take everything from putting seeds in the ground, planting, growing, harvesting, wet milling, which is extracting the, the coffee cherry from the actual seed. Then you dry the, the seed, mill it, and then you ship it to the roaster and it's roasted and packaged, right? So we're, we're going to take that whole chain. I would say within the next two years, we'll have control of that entire chain and we'll have a massive amount of production, uh, traceable production from Colombia, and we'll be able to control it all the way through our own fully owned roasters. And you as an entrepreneur, regarding your skill set, so it's a debate that I have for the last seven years since, sure. since the beginning of the podcast. Are you still feeling capable for for being C-level uh, regarding 400 employees? Or what sure. was the process? So it was very fast growth. Uh, did you succeed at creating new team with new experts? What was what was the journey? Sure. So one of the things I am good at is stepping back when I'm when I'm okay. not the best guy for the job. And I think that's a big thing to do, especially when I'm not personally, I'm not from Columbia. You know, my background was with PricewaterhouseCoopers. I worked there since the time I got out of university or got out of graduate school uh, when I was about 23. You know, I started with them in the United States. I moved to Bermuda with them, worked in financial services, and then I moved to Hong Kong. My background was in mergers and acquisitions advisory there. And I lived between Hong Kong and Beijing for about four and a half years, right? I came down to Columbia really when I was starting my own businesses. And so my background was more in accounting, finance, you know, strategy. Uh, in my role today, really is to sit on the board, oversee strategy, and I work directly with investors. You know, I would say around the period that about 2020, that was the time that we said, we really need to scale up the green coffee company management team. And I knew I wasn't the person to actually run the company on a day-to-day -day basis. That's when we brought in a world-class CEO, a world-class CFO. We have a world-class COO. And they're the ones that really run the business on a day-to-day -day basis. 
but my office is right down the hall from their office. Really what I work as a high level strategic issues and I oversee management to make sure investors concerns are, are taken care of. Really that's where I find that I provide the most value uh, and me getting, you know, points on my points on the belt or notches on the belt for saying I'm a CEO doesn't have a lot of value to me. I'd rather have, you know, a val more valuable company. <laughs> so I know when to step away. Speaking about investors, uh, can you discuss the growing popularity in that alternative investment area? Yes. And the challenges investors face when they, when let's say, sourcing good deals in the market? Definitely, definitely. So to give you a background of how we raise capital, we raise almost exclusively high net worth individual capital. So most of my investors are usually within the $3 million to $30 million net range. We do have some that are up around $100 million net worth, but really our, our spot where we find the most success is really in that $30 to, or $3 to $30 million net asset range. What we find with a lot of our high net worth investors is one, they like direct deals. They like to know exactly where they're investing the, the product, right? So if you were to invest in Green Coffee Company, for instance, you invest directly into a Delaware holding company, a US-based company. You do not invest through, let's say, an SPV or a fund, a blind fund. What I see with a lot of investors is one, they're pushing back on the blind fund approach. Basically, the, the traditional VC or, PC or PE approach of saying, hey, I've got a, a mandate to invest, for instance, in healthcare. Uh, you're going to give me a commitment letter when I launch the fund. You're, it's a mil million minimum buy-in. And whenever I tell you, you need to send me capital commitments. You're mm -hmm. not going to have a say in what do I invest in. You only know a very wide scope spectrum of things I can invest in. And if you do not commit the money that you sign, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> right? that, that's a traditional blind fund approach. If, if high net worth individuals can invest directly, they always choose to do so. Also, they like what I find a lot of high net worth investors are looking for is international diversification. Most of our guys are U.S. high net worth, right? And what they have access to primarily in alternatives is real estate syndications. And so a lot of our investors are really comfortable with commercial real estate syndications, but direct investments in portfolio companies of something that's high growth, especially pre-IPO companies, is very difficult for them to source.
So I always tell this to basically anyone that's that's around me when I say, if I had, let's say, a billion bucks tomorrow to invest in direct placements, and you only have a team of two or three people, you know, especially in places like Latin America, it would be very difficult to place that capital because data is kind of all over the place. And to find portfolio companies that are really deserving of that capital is very difficult. Right. So there's new crowdfunding platforms out, reggae platforms where you, you can see a portfolio of deals, but a lot of them are very small. A lot of them are very risky. Most of them won't work. You know, it's very difficult to find great private placement deals in direct portfolio companies. And you see a lot of it because most investors today see too much capital and liquidity in public markets. So what it's doing is you're hugely driving up prices on public markets. Doesn't matter whether it's debt or equity, it's driving up valuations, driving down potential returns. So all high net worth investors that I talk to are all looking at alternatives and they're looking at private equity and they're looking at private debt, right? To syndicate your own on either side is quite difficult. So the, usually they look for intermediaries to find direct deals. And as of today, you know, the primary vehicle to find private deals really is personal relationships. Mm. You know, we can't we can't just go out, for instance, when we go raise capital, we raise at conferences, through investment groups that we're a part of, through existing investors, of course, but it's a very high touch, a very per personalized approach because you know our minimums are $100,000, right? It's not like a, a VC or really small micro VC that can get in for $1,000, $2,000 or a crowdfunding platform. We don't do that. We only work with substantial size investments. And that's where, that's kind of the niche that we operate in. And we think it's very, very successful because I see it as a massively underserved market. You know, I think if a lot of high net worth investors go into a private bank, let's say you're worth three to $30 million, you really get pitched the same products that you get pitched if you're worth $100,000 or $200,000. You know, like retail mutual funds, doesn't matter debt or equity, really high fees and really low profitability. So what we see is investors that, especially ones that manage their own wealth, really want the opportunity to make arbitrage returns, direct investments, and if they can go international in something that they don't have access to, which really today in alternatives really is commercial real estate, then they're very interested and, and they want to hear what you have to say. So what high net worth investors are looking at or accredited investors are looking at is really arbitrage returns, right? They want to see higher returns so they can get in public markets. They would like something that's if it can be inflation hedged, they're very interested in inflation hedges. And three, I would say a large one is international diversification.
you know, something outside of the pool of assets they have ready access to, which today is for most of our U.S. based investors is U.S. commercial real estate. Right. Where I see a gap in the market is really for product offerings for high net worth individuals that are really within that range of net worth between three and 30 million dollars. You know, when I was working, for instance, in PwC in Hong Kong, you know, we worked only in M&A. We worked in the asset management space. My, my background was buying banks, insurance companies and asset managers. And we constantly do studies on an underserved market of that three to 30 million dollar range. You know, they should not be getting pitched retail, mutual funds, equity or debt products like someone who's worth $100,000. But it is what happens on an everyday retail banking relationship. So what I see and what we've seen work really well is alternatives focused in that range. So minimum investments somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 that have arbitrage returns, really. And that's where we see a sweet spot that no one is really or not no one's picking it up at scale one because mm -hmm. it's difficult obviously to fund and run private placement capital opportunities and run private companies but there's definitely a hunger for that within the high net worth investor audience what is your business model due to all those interactions that you have on a daily basis multiple mm -hmm. companies 10x growth so how did you manage all all that how do you sure. make money? Mm -hmm. Sure. So my business model, along with my partner, is we take very concentrated bets on very few companies, mm. right? That's the first thing. We're, we are anti-diversification. We invest a significant amount of our own capital in any opportunity that we do. So any, any opportunity that I'm pitching to investor, I there's a, probably a 95% chance I'm putting more personal money into this deal than you are. They, it's it's without a fact. Every single funding round, myself and my partner will put in usually high six, low seven figures. Every funding round that we engage in with Green Coffee Company, for instance. Today, we're only engaged with two companies. 90% of our time was building and running the Green Coffee Company. And 10% of our time is with, well, I would say, a mixture of other companies and the company that I'm recording with, with you here today. Other companies called Polygonis. It's a digital arts and entertainment company in Medellin. So really the high level, it's making video games and also a digital academy around teaching people how to work in video game production, video game production and film production. And I would say that one, I'm more of, we're more of a investment and advisor focus. We don't take third party capital yet. We're, the company's still in development, uh, but then really the 90% of my time is green coffee company. You know, that's my everyday role that I'm working alongside management, making sure we hit KPIs. So I would say one thing that makes me different today than 10 years ago is I don't like to plan out my exact day all through the day. So let me give you two extremes. One is I'm working at PwC. You know, you have your day planned down off on time to the minute, right? From the time you're getting up 6 a.m. to the time you're finishing work. A lot of times, you know, on Hong Kong, it's 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and that's six, seven days a week. I mean, you're, you're planned down to the minute. You're in meetings every day. You know, a lot of my days now are around strategy, 
thinking and leaving time open to meet with management, take meetings outside of the office, think about what we're doing in the future. Uh, and what I try to do when either I'm building a business, talking about a business, talking to investors, is make sure I'm excited about what we're doing, right? If I ever feel like sometimes the, you know, a business is based on how you feel. And if I wake up one day and say, man, I'm not excited about what we're doing on this aspect, there's usually something wrong, right? And you have to identify what's wrong. And it's not always a technical skill right it's something that you say look there's an aspect relating to sales and coffee i'm not feeling really comfortable with i don't know why i'm not comfortable but i'm going to think it through start talking with the key players and we're going to figure out why that is if there's any aspect of saying what i do a presentation to investors so for instance last week we had the annual presentation with myself and the ceo to investors and i want to be go into the presentation excited and luckily, everything about the presentation I was excited about. But if there's ever a question I get from an investor that I'm not excited about giving the answer, I know I need to fix that immediately. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often. But sometimes there's questions that say, you know, I didn't love answering that question. I wish I had a better answer. Let's focus on that. And that when I get it again in the future, we're ready to roll. And I'm excited about giving the answer to any question I get. So I would say, you know, one of the most important things is positivity, but also making sure that if you are the agent for the business or you're a spokesman for the business, that you're really excited about it. You're not excited about it because you drank 15 cups of coffee excited about it, but you actually get up every day and you're excited about what you're doing and it's worth, it's worth the time you're putting into it. You know, there's a lot of, to me, there's a tremendous amount of jobs where you can make a tremendous amount of money, right? If it's just about money, you know, I go work in investment banking, I go work in advisory and you can sell your time for money and you'll always have money. But building companies is, I think is a lot more than that, right? It's about being excited and portraying to the world. And at the end of the day, you have something that you're really, really proud of. That's, that's the end goal. I would say social and especially environmental responsibility at the Green Coffee Company is something we have to focus on tremendously. One reason is we want to be proud of the businesses that we're engaged in. So we didn't name the company or our asset manager Legacy Group just because we thought it was a cool word, right? So Legacy has two meetings. Legacy, one has a financial meeting, which is, you know, legacy of funds over time, but it's also legacy as in your memory of what you're doing with your life and what we do every day in business. So myself and my partner, we only want to work in businesses that we're proud of being a part of, right? So Green Coffee Company embodies that, right? So one thing you're seeing in the coffee markets globally is the end consumer is driving environmental sustainability and social responsibility no matter what. It's an industry that if you're not doing those things, I don't think you'll exist in 10 years, right? You just won't be in the market, right? So things like environmental and social responsibility, we have to build into the ecosystem of what we create the Korean Coffee Company because it's vitally important for our clients and it's something you wanna be a part of, right? So there's numerous things. That's, let me give you a couple of examples like byproducts in in green coffee companies so for any of the listenership that doesn't know coffee coffee is grown in a tree and it comes in a cherry 
only half of the cherry is the actual coffee bean that you drink. The rest is uh, like literally like a red cherry that you'd see on any other tree, but typically it's thrown away, right? In the history of coffee, no matter where it is in the world, a lot of this times we'll just throw it in a river so it gets washed downstream. That's a massive pollutant. So there's a massive environmental risk with a lot of areas of large-scale farming of any crop, crop base in the world, and coffee is no exception. What are we doing this year that's different? So this is the first year that we're actually doing something useful with coffee bright product and a massive scale. So we're building a world-class distillery on the side of our wet mill right now. So we're spending about $6 million to build an industrial facility able to produce 12,000 liters of pure ethanol a day from what is coffee waste, coffee cherries, right? And so you can take something which is a pollutant and make it into a revenue stream. And for also for listenership that doesn't know what ethanol is, ethanol can be burned as a fuel, but mm. we're making food grade ethanol. So it goes in the production of things like vodka, snaps, gins, uh, and is human-based consumable. So it's a, it's a great product. Another, another one more example uh, before we go on this one is, let's say, water usage. Water usage is a massive issue of, of farming products almost everywhere in the world. Our wet mills, let's say the average in Colombia is usually 20 or 30 liters of water per pound uh, producing coffee. Our wet mills use less than one, right? So we would recycle our, our water over and over again. So there's numerous, I mean, this is one, we have actually a whole sustainability deck that aligns to UN sustainability standards of, of the things that we do. So it'd probably take me like five of your shows, Martin, to go through everything that we do. But those are just two high level examples of how we try to bake in all of those goals within the company. And we have, if we're going to be called the green coffee company, you actually have to be green in order to do it. I don't know to ask you or not. Green coffee company in five years, probably the number one in all categories in the world. Sure. I mean, I think we'll be the largest consolidated producer of Arabica coffee in the next two or three years. That would be the growth pattern. What we've seen from where we're at today is we're about two times the size of the nearest competitor in Colombia. The largest producers in the world are in Brazil. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've seen the largest that we're seeing in Brazil are about 5,500 hectares, maybe around that level, but really are public reporting about 13 million trees, right? Really low densities. So we're at 11 and a half today, right? Million trees. They're reporting a, a little over 13 million trees. Uh, but, you know, data is not always perfect in coffee regions, no matter in the world. Uh, but I would say within the next two or three years, if we continue on our current capital deployment pattern, we'll be we'll be number one without a doubt, and we'll be running everything from Colombia. By the way, are you serial entrepreneurs? So are you thinking about exit strategies regarding your companies, or this is something that is more like your life? Sure, sure. For our investors, journey. we're looking. Yeah, of course. Of course, Martin. It's a great question. So for our investors are looking for an exit in 2026, we're dual tracking the company to either go public route IPO, either in the United States, or we, we are basically tracking along so you could do a, a corporate sellout as well. Me personally, I'd love to stick around and add value if I could. I mean, the business, this is an example of a business that I could do forever and be happy. You know, if if we go the public option route, I'll probably get to stick around and 
provide some value if I can. You know, if you do a corporate sellout, I might only get a little bit of time to hang around. I think it really just depends on where the company goes and what investors want to see. But, you know, I'm excited to be a part of it no matter what. No matter what, I've got about three, four years left in my in my tenure minimum. But if I can stick around for more, I'll do my best to make the most valuable company possible. You can follow us on LinkedIn. You look us for us at Legacy Group. Or you can go to our website, www.legacy-group.co. And you can see our most recent funding announcement. We have $2 million left in a $25 million Series C funding round. Or you can just follow us and see what we're doing down here in Columbia. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.